Good evening. We're thankful for an opportunity to be together once again this Lord's Day. We invite you to be taking out your Bibles to Romans the 13th chapters, where we will be taking the thoughts of our study this evening. We looked at this proverb in our Bible study this morning. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And you read in scriptures of God's people. Under the old covenant, you have the children of Israel. They lived in nations. Sometimes they were their own nation. Sometimes they were subjugated and they lived among other nations. In the New Testament, the Christians, they lived during the era of the Roman Empire. Always, God's people have always lived in nations, countries, and even great empires. As the children of Israel, they were first introduced to them really forming as a nation. You have them in Egypt. They began to establish their own kingdom and then... They turned to idolatry. They were punished, destroyed by the Assyrians, and many of them later would live in Babylon and the Persian empires. God's people have always lived in these nations and empires. There has always been a tension there. Loyalty to God or fidelity to the king? There's always been tension in those two ideas. Many of the nations that you read about in the Scriptures, they were evil, they were wicked, they did terrible, sinful things. So what are God's people to do? What should we do today as we live in a nation? A nation that maybe we are very proud to be here and to live here and be a citizen of this nation. Maybe we're very thankful and we feel very blessed for the liberty and the freedoms that we have. We're thankful that we are not persecuted as others might face persecution. We're thankful for those things. But sometimes we don't always fully agree with what our nation does and the rulers of our nations may do and the decisions that are made. What is our responsibility? How do we live here as a citizen of the United States of America? And it's a question that I think many of us will probably wrestle with and we struggle with from time to time. So let's try to come to a resolve of what we should do in order to be pleasing to God. Let's look within the Word of God this, this afternoon. And we're just going to look at a, a few responsibilities that we have. And the first one is very simple. It's very straightforward. We have the responsibility to honor and pray for our rulers. Here in Romans chapter 13 and in verse 1, he says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. First off, what Paul wants us to see here is that government and authority is in place because that's the way God intended for it to be. Having anarchy and chaos and antinomianism where we just don't have any kind of law whatsoever, that is not good. That is not how God wanted things to be done. He wants us to be subject to a higher authority, a governing authority. That's what He wants. Because we need laws, we need authority. That is inherently a good thing. Because government, generally speaking, there are always exceptions, and so we're going to have to speak in generalities tonight, but generally speaking, government is a good thing because it establishes a principle of authority, of rule, law, and order. And those are good things. Those are things that God wants for us to have established and have in place. Laws. Well, many times we may get fed up with laws that we, that we think are burdensome or we think are a little silly, 
And it's, it's always fun to do an internet search for some of the silly laws that are still in place. And if you've ever done that, maybe I'm the only one, but laws in general, they are supposed to help people. They're supposed to protect your rights and your liberties. And, and to help you and to protect you so that someone else does not infringe upon your rights and your liberties and to take something away that belongs to you. Law and order encourages good behavior. Notice here, he says in verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who establishes evil or practices evil. What we see is that government is supposed to be something that is here for our good. And if you are doing what is right, if you're obeying the laws, you have nothing to really fear. But if you are disobedient to the law, if you create infractions against law, then there should be punishment. There should be just punishment. But what I find amazing here is the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Don't miss that. And he is writing to the church in Rome where the Roman Empire is, where Caesar sits on the throne, and the Caesar at this time is most likely Nero, and he was not the greatest of guys. Now certainly there were, I think, worse Caesars than Nero, but he certainly was not the best or the kindest of them. And notice what Paul says in verse 7, Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Paul says, you need to honor the king. Honor the emperor. Honor the governing authority that is over you. Even if he does some things that you don't always like, even if he does some things that might be considered evil, you have to still at least respect his position, the authority that he has. Peter would say something very similar in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And the apostle Peter is writing right around the same time. And he is writing to Christians in 1 Peter who are beginning to undergo some form of persecution. And those words, they begin to take on something even more meaningful, don't they? That's maybe even more challenging. Whenever we begin to face persecution, are you still going to be able to honor those who are in authority? That's what the apostles teach us. Now we still have to honor them for their position of power and authority. We have to be careful because they have government has been placed there by God. We live in a day and age where disrespect for rulers runs rampant. Where there are overly harsh criticisms of our political opponents. Or we don't respect people. I've seen people online, whenever there is a president that is elected that they don't want to even acknowledge as a legitimate president, they will maybe put the first uh, letter of their name and then like the star symbol on your keyboard and then maybe the last symbol or the last letter of their name. They don't want to even acknowledge the person as being in a position of authority. I think that is disrespectful and that's wrong. While we may not always agree with the policies, we may not agree with the politics, we may not agree with 
their stance on many things. We may disagree with their political party. But as a child of God, we still have a responsibility to honor the king. Disrespect for our rulers, even if we do not agree with them and their morals, they should be respected because of the office and the role that they play. Think about Daniel. In the book of Daniel, Daniel is a young man who was shipped off to captivity. He was removed from Judah. He was taken to Babylon. And he never compromised his faith. He always maintained that balance between doing what was pleasing to the king and doing what his conscience required of him. He always maintained that balance. And yet he was still always able to respect the king. He never spoke harshly or critically of Nebuchadnezzar who he had to work beside in many occasions. And Nebuchadnezzar was not a kind, good ruler. He was oftentimes a very brutal, wicked, and prideful king of Babylon. And yet Daniel was able to still muster some respect for him because of the dignity of the position that he held. He treated him with the respect and honor that is associated with the kingship. Consider Jesus. When He was handed over by Judas, He stood before the high priest, Caiaphas, He stood before Pilate, the Roman governor. He stood before Herod, sort of a puppet king. And all of those rulers were very weak, cowardly, evil, insipid rulers. None of them were good. And what did Jesus do? He did not speak a word against them. Many times we need to learn from the example of Daniel and the example of Jesus. We need to honor our rulers. And then we need to go a step beyond that. We need to even pray for them. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul would write to Timothy, First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. What I find to be challenging in this text of Scripture is that while God expects us to honor our ruler, our king, if you will, or our president. He also expects us to have a broader worldview, doesn't he? He doesn't say just pray for the king that you like. He doesn't say just pray for your king, does he? What does Paul say? He says, for kings and all who are in authority. We have to recognize that any leader is needing our prayers. And just think about the most wicked or evil ruler that you could imagine. You're probably thinking about Hitler, aren't you? Someone like Hitler. Even he needed our prayers. He need the prayers of the saints. We don't, we're not commanded to just pray for the people that we like or the people that we voted for. We're supposed to pray for all rulers. I heard many prayers, after, especially come election seasons, where after the guy that we won and we're happy that he won, we start really praying for him, don't we? Because we want him to be successful in office. I have no. I'm glad that we pray for the people that we that we are happy that are there. 
But I think maybe we need to pray even harder for the people that we are unhappy with and dissatisfied with because they probably need our prayers more, don't they? Especially if we feel that they are going to be leading us in a way that is not in accordance with godliness and righteousness. And so we must pray and honor Democrat, Republican, Independent. We should pray and honor the President and Congressmen and women American rulers or foreign rulers, we should pray for them. All of them. And we should be grateful that we have the opportunity and the freedoms to serve and to worship our God without persecution. That's why we need to honor them. We need to pray that we are able to continue to have those freedoms as well. A second thing that the Apostle Paul lays out for us here in the book of Romans in the 13th chapter is that we have to pay our taxes. I'm sorry to have to tell you that, but you have to. I mean, no one likes paying taxes. I think it's Benjamin Franklin, if this is a true quote. He said, there's nothing certain except death and taxes. We don't enjoy paying taxes, and we certainly do not enjoy seeing our tax dollars wasted or spent on things that we find evil, immoral, or repugnant. And yet, we are still called to pay our taxes, aren't we? In chapter 13, in verse 6 and 7 of the book of Romans, he says, For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due. And I want you to notice here how the Apostle Paul is framing all of this language He's saying, be subject to the authorities. Honor those who are in authority. Pay your taxes. Why? Because he's trying to shape our framework and our way of thinking in that we are not just doing it for the person who's there or the person who's actually getting our check. We're doing it for the purpose of doing what God has said because we are recognizing God in this. Notice verse 6. He says, for rulers are servants of God. That's why you pay your taxes. They are serving, and you need to serve God. There's an occasion in the Gospel of Luke in the life of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 20, perhaps you'll remember this occasion that the Jews had come to Jesus and they were trying to entrap Him. They were asking Him several questions in Luke chapter 20. The scribes and the chief priests, they really wanted to go ahead and take Jesus and to kill Him. But they knew that they could not do that because the people uh, were not ready for that. It would have been a bad political decision on their part. And they feared the people. But it says in Luke chapter 20 and in verse 20, So they watched Him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch Him in some statement so that they could deliver Him to the rule and the authority of the governor. That would have been Rome at the time. It would have been Pilate. So they questioned Him, saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly. And you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Flattery is such a nice way to start a conversation, isn't it? And so it says in verse 22, Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Come on, Jesus, tell us. Tell us the truth. You're going to tell us the truth. We know you're going to tell us. Is it lawful for us, the Jews, to pay taxes? Taxes to Caesar. If Jesus had said no to that answer, then you know who's going to get upset? Rome. The Jews were hoping that He might say no, and then Rome would just come in and take Jesus and deal with Him. And then they wouldn't have to worry about Him anymore, the Jews. But if Jesus said, yes, it is lawful for you to pay your taxes to Caesar, then the Jews would have been angry. So, or some of them, the zealots, they were a sect of the Jews that 
wanted to revolt against the Roman Empire. They wanted to have nothing to do with Rome. They wanted to, they were sort of freedom fighters that they wanted to fight for Jewish freedom. And so you have to love what Jesus does here in verse 23. It says, He detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a Daenerys whose likeness and inscription does it have. They said Caesar's. And He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. Take out your money. You take out a dollar bill, and you're going to see George Washington on there, aren't you? You're going to see that it's backed by the United States of America. Give it back to them, Jesus said. Give it back to them. It's interesting that after this, and when Jesus was handed over to Pilate, in Luke chapter 23 and in verse 2, it says, When they began to accuse Him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that He Himself is Christ the King. That was a lie, wasn't it? What Jesus says, pay your taxes. What the Apostle Paul said, pay your taxes. And we, when we pay our taxes, we're to do so as a Christian ought. Ethically, fairly, righteously, and upright. Pay your taxes. Do so in a timely way, with the right spirit. Not in a way that would seek to cheat anyone. But do it in the right way. For because of this you also pay taxes for rulers or servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them tax to whom tax is due. The Bible is pretty clear on that matter. A third thing that we are supposed to do in our responsibilities to the civil government is we are to submit to government's authority. A Christian, non-Christians, everyone is supposed to live in subjection, aren't they? Notice what Paul says in, here in Romans chapter 13 and in verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. We are supposed to subject ourselves to the rule of authority and government. Resisting authority is in opposition not only to the government, but to God as well. He says in verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. So if you are going to be rebellious, if you're going to have that spirit of rebellion where you say, I'm not going to follow the law, I'm not going to do what is required of me, you're not just rebelling against the law and the local authorities or the United States government, you're rebelling against God. It's when someone does oppose and violate the laws which governing bodies and authorities have put into place, they stand condemned. They stand guilty. He finishes there in verse 2, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. They are guilty. How many times do we have to turn on the TV and the news and we see that there are people who are in constant violation of the law? There's disrespect for authority. There's disrespect for those who are to enforce the laws, like the police. We see very little respect and honor given to those people. But what Paul says in verse 3, rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. If you are 
breaking the law, then you need to fear the authorities. But if you're doing what is good and proper, then you have no reason to fear. He says in verse 4, For it is a minister of God, the authorities, to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing or in vain. We need to submit to the authorities. We may not always like the laws. We may not always agree with the laws. We might have wished that the politics had gone a different way. We might have wished that someone else was elected to office and that they would have made some other decisions. We, as a general principle, we must obey and submit and be subject to the authorities. Now, of course, that only goes so far. Because sometimes governments turn completely evil. And they begin to demand immoral things to be done by their people. Or maybe they would require, like Rome began to do, at times requiring Christians to denounce their faith in Christ. What do we do then? If times of persecution come against us and we have to make a decision, I'm going to stand with Jesus or I'm going to deny Him and obey the law, what must we do? Is there ever a time where we should disobey? And in in cases when the government would demand us to violate God's Word, we must obey God rather than men. Think back to the book of Daniel with the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there was a law that was passed. Nebuchadnezzar had built this great image of himself. And he demanded everyone come and worship that image. But Daniel and his friends would not do so. And it says in Daniel chapter 3 and in verse 12, as Nebuchadnezzar began to hear about these men, he says, There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and anger gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the moment, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there, who can deliver you out of my hands? Then notice what these three guys do. In verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Their decision had already been made. They knew what they were going to say and do. He says in verse 17, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But even if He does not, let it be known to you, O King, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love their decision. I admire it. Because they didn't just say, no, we're not going to worship you, did they? They say that at the end. But what's their real decision? You see? Verse 17, they say, God is our decision. So send us to the blazing fire. 
If it be so, verse 17, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. They say, Nebuchadnezzar, you might as well go ahead and put us in there. We are not backing down. What you also admire is that they do so in still a very honorable way, don't they? They still recognize Him as King. They're saying, Nebuchadnezzar, what you're requiring us of us is not acceptable. We're still going to be faithful to our God. At the end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, in verse 10, a passage of Scripture that we oftentimes quote to talk about how we need to be faithful after we become a child of God. That we need to be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. That phrase there. And while it is certainly indeed true that we need to be obedient to God and live faithfully for the rest of our life even after we have become a child of God, what I believe the main point of this passage is is teaching us that even when we are under the threat of persecution, if they say it's Christ or Caesar, who are you going to obey? And the answer better be Christ. Notice in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death. Even if you die, you be faithful. And I will give you the crown of life. Later on in chapter 6, in chapter 6 and in verse 9, as the book of the seals were being opened up, it says in chapter 6 and verse 9, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Notice, because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. They did not back down. The examples that we have in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, they teach us that even when it's time to disobey, even when it's time to disobey, we must be faithful to Christ. And we have to choose Christ over government. So when is it time to disobey? Well, I think in principle we need to be as subject to the laws as long as possible. And when there is a contradiction between man's laws versus the Word of God, then it's time to make your choice. And our choice needs to be made now. And we're going to obey God. But even whenever we do have to make that choice, if we ever have to make that choice, there's a right way to do it. Isn't there? There's a right way to do it. There would be a wrong way to do it too. We're not called to take up arms. We're called to suffer for Christ. We need to resist righteously and be willing to accept whatever may happen. That's what God would expect of us. And while we live in a time and an era when there is very little respect for police and for those who enforce the laws of the land, Christians are called to be different. We are called to be models of people who would give subject and honor to the government, to those in authority. And so we should submit to the government's authority, but then finally what we also see is that we are to honor the customs of the nation. In Romans chapter 13, Paul says in verse 7, Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We need to honor the customs of the nation. We need to give 
honor to the nation. Because this is where we live. We're thankful for it. We're thankful for the protections. We're thankful for the freedoms that we are able to enjoy. Thinking about the liberties that we have, the First Amendment that gives us freedom to speak out and to exercise our faith, the fact that we are here and we don't have to fear that the government is going to come in and disband us, even though we maybe have seen some of that, maybe more recently than we thought we ever would. We need to be thankful for the liberty that we have. Second Amendment rights that we may have, exercising those things as long as they don't violate God's Word, enjoy those freedoms. Exercise your right to vote. Respect the flag. Work through the right channels to bring about change. There may be things that we are frustrated with. There may be things that we don't like about things. Go about it through the right channels. Try to be active in civic duties and responsibilities. Be a good neighbor. Be a good citizen. Run for local office if you want to. Serve your country in armed forces. Honor those who fight, serve, defend, and protect. Be patriotic. Be thankful that you live here. I think patriotism is one of those things that sometimes seems... Like it's become popular even for Christians to want to hide their patriotism. And patriotism is simply just having a love for the country that you live in that allows you to enjoy the life that you have. Certainly, patriotism could be taken to extremism. And we have to be sure that we have a greater love for God than even our nation. And we need to have a greater love for the kingdom of God than for our nation. Consider the Apostle Paul with me for just one moment. Paul, he was a Jew. We have several passages of Scripture where we see that he was a Jew and he practiced the customs of the Jews. That he would, if he was associating with Jewish people, he would try to especially just join in with those things. And he was not someone who was ashamed of his heritage. In the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3, in Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 4, Paul is describing himself. He says, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcise the eighth day of, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. Here he is. He's given his pedigree, isn't he? He's giving his credentials. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Even after becoming a, a Christian, even after becoming a Christian, he practiced some of the traditions of the law. But he was also a Roman citizen. That did not negate his Jewish heritage. And in fact, he employed his Roman citizenship when he needed to. Turn with me to the book of Acts in the 16th chapter, real quick. In Acts chapter 16. Paul was in Philippi and he had been preaching the gospel. People were hearing him. There were a couple of conversions that were taking place. And then he is imprisoned. And he's beaten with no trial. 
He's just taken to the prison. He's he's beaten. And you might think, why would he undergo that? Because he didn't have to. And he tells that kind of at the end of the story. In Acts chapter 16, and in verse 35, it says, Now when the day came, the chief magistrate sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent release to you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison and now are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. Like he had that card tucked away and he was going to bring out that citizenship card at the last minute. He's like, nope, you're not getting off the hook free here. But what's amazing about this, think about it. Paul, he could have pulled that card, that Roman citizenship card out a little earlier, couldn't he? When they were about to beat him, couldn't he have said, hold on, you got to give me a trial, I'm a Roman. But he didn't do that. He suffered the beating and the imprisonment because ultimately he was completely, totally, and absolutely subject to to King Jesus. The trump card for Paul was that the kingdom of God is greater than his Jewish heritage and his Roman citizenship. Notice in the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3, in that passage that we just read a few moments ago about Paul and his uh, pedigree of being a Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He goes on in verse 7, he says, But whatever things were gained to me, that is, that he was circumcised on the eighth day, that he was of the tribe of Benjamin, he was a Hebrew of Hebrew, he was a Pharisee, all those things. He says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. What Paul did is that he esteemed his citizenship in the kingdom of God as greater than his Jewish heritage. He esteemed his Citizenship in the kingdom of God is greater than his Roman citizenship. He gave and risked his life in the liberties that he had as a Roman. He was willing to undergo mistreatment for the sake of Christ. How many of us, if it came down to it, if they started taking away some of our... our, our Rights, maybe from the Bill of Rights or something, how many of us would be say, okay, if they take away that First Amendment right that gives us the opportunity to worship, how many of us are going to say, okay, whatever happens, happens. I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to still continue to worship with my brethren. I'm still going to do what is right and pleasing to God because I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Because I am absolutely, completely loyal to God into Christ. Would you be willing to give up your privileges as an American if it meant that you would be a more faithful disciple? Because that's what Paul is saying he was willing to do. Don't get me wrong. I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to have been born in that other state that has Kansas in it, but starts with an A-R. I'm not going to say R-Kansas, by the way, because it is Arkansas. And I am proud to be a resident in the state of Kansas. We can be thankful for all of those things. 
We can be thankful for the blessings of our citizenship here. But what we have to do is we have to put Christ Jesus first. We have to allow our allegiance and our patriotism to this country take second place to our allegiance and our citizenship to the kingdom of heaven. In Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 20, notice what Paul said. He says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our loyalty, our patriotism to civil government reaches a point where it stops, doesn't it? Because we have to remember our true citizenship. Peter talks about how we are merely sojourners and travelers through this earth. Sometimes we sing the song, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. We need to remember that. What we also need to remember is that the gospel of the kingdom of God is capable of overcoming and tearing down political barriers. Something that is very subtle, but if you turn to the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10, in Matthew chapter 10, and in verses 3 and 4, when Matthew is listing the disciples of Jesus, he mentions in verse 3, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the tax collector, he is considered to have been a Jew who associated and worked under the employ of the Roman Empire. And tax collectors have never had a good reputation, especially whenever we get, what, 84,000 in the IRS. We, we don't like tax collectors, do we? People didn't like tax collectors back then. He was a Jew who was willing to work for Rome. But then you go to verse 4. Simon the Zealot. I mentioned the Zealots earlier. Here is someone who wants to see Rome overthrown. And yet both of them are called by Jesus. Probably the best kind of thing that you could imagine is in our country, if you found a Republican and a Democrat, you got them together in the same room and they said, we're both going to follow Jesus. That's about, about almost how radical that would seem. Two very different kinds of philosophies and thinkings about politics and about the direction of our country. And Jesus is able to unify. That's what the gospel of the kingdom of God is capable of doing. And that, I think, is proof enough that the gospel in the kingdom of God is far greater than any earthly nation that we could ever imagine. So, as Christians, as Americans, God expects us to honor our rulers and pray for our kings, our rulers, our president, people who make laws, the people who enforce them. We need to be thankful for the blessings of being able to live a godly and tranquil, quiet life. We need to pay our taxes. We need to submit to the civil authorities. We need to respect the customs of the land. Nevertheless, we must remain steadfast and committed not just to our nation here on earth, but to the eternal kingdom of heaven of which we are citizens. This evening, if you're not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, if you have never given your heart and your life and your allegiance to Jesus Christ, 
the King. He sits upon His throne. He offers grace. He offers mercy. He offers the greatest kind of liberty and freedom that you could ever imagine. Redemption and freedom from your sins. If you need the forgiveness of Christ Jesus, your King, come to Him tonight. Renouncing this world and Satan and sin, come to Jesus Christ. Humble yourself. Be obedient to Him. Be baptized to have your sins washed away. Begin to follow Him. Maybe you have made that choice and that commitment, but you've not been giving it your all. You've not been following Christ faithfully. And you need to make, make some changes in your life. Tonight you have an opportunity to do so. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing? <coughs>